The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Isn't it nice to see the sun shining? It's, uh, we were getting ready to start on an arc uh, this week, and uh, it's nice to see the sun shining. It's also true, as Dr. Porcello mentioned, that we've turned the corner into the home stretch. I always know that's true when I pass the digital signage and see the 10th hour breakfast advertised, uh, for I know that we're uh, getting close to the end. And uh, we want you to know as students that we're praying for you, that the Lord would give you strength and grace to finish this academic year and to finish well. For those of you who are graduating, we're already praying that the Lord would uh, keep his hand upon your life and prepare for you what is next after your time at Cairn University. But for now, we have weeks to go. And uh, you have much to accomplish, and as was said, there's a lot going on, and we just pray that the Lord would use you to be a blessing and encouragement to one another, and that you would uh, have what you need uh, to fulfill your calling as students at Cairn University. Don't think I need to call your attention to the fact that uh, we are uh, looking at a short week to come uh, with Holy Week, Palm Sunday, in just a couple of days, and then Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So... Uh, I pray already, I've been praying this week for you that it would be a time of refreshment and a good break, but also that you would take time to reflect upon the magnitude of the blessings that are ours in and through the death, burial, and glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I would like to uh, draw our attention in this series that I've been doing on some things that I think are tied inextricably to the person and work of Jesus Christ. The series, as we've been doing this year, entitled Some Things We May Have Forgotten, Reacquainting Ourselves with Key Biblical Truths. This idea that there are things that are essential to the Christian faith, they're key biblical truths, and yet uh, we find ourselves somehow slipping from remembering them, either as a result of our own humanity and human nature, or the forces of culture around us, or uh, actually just overhearing them that old phrase of falling asleep under the preaching of the gospel, that we become so accustomed to hearing certain things that they ultimately lose their impact. It's part of being human in a fallen and broken world. What I've been trying to do this semester, and this actually all year, is to call our attention to some things that I believe, my observations are, that as uh, the church in the days in which we find ourselves, we may be losing sight of certain things. We've talked about things as as clear and as large as creation and the resurrection. And last time, uh, the issue of God as the source and substance of all truth. I also talked about the issue of loving God as we ought to and thinking rightly about our relationships to one another. Today I want to focus our attention on something that comes directly from the passage that Dr. Porcella read for us, the source and substance of contentment and joy. I believe that this is an important key biblical truth that we cannot afford to forget. And yet I think in our day, given uh, sort of the sensibilities of the times in which we find ourselves, it's very easy to lose sight of what I think is a very key and transcendent biblical truth, that there is a reliable source and a reliable substance of human contentment and joy, but it is not found in this world. It is found only in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to focus on Philippians chapter 4 and some things there. Now, just a word along this sort of theme of the year. 
and this issue of forgetting. I was thinking this week and talking with my wife about this and thinking about how this happens to us. Well, I've shared along these lines all year. There are things we forget because we don't like or want to remember them. And things we forget because we've become convinced that they're no longer relevant or have value. But biblical truths should not fall into either one of those categories. And yet we're human. We find ourselves forgetting things simply because we don't want to remember them. There are lots of things in my life that I would like to forget. Embarrassing moments, other kinds of things that that you just wish weren't part of your life and you would like to forget them. There are probably people you'd like to forget along the way as well. That's just part of life in this world. And there are things that we forget because we don't like those things or we don't want to remember them. But the truths that we find in God's Word, we don't really have the luxury of deciding that. We don't get to say, well, I don't particularly like this claim of Scripture on my life or my will. And I would rather just forget it isn't, that it's there, pretend it's not there. But the other thing that happens to us is we find ourselves in the course of life that we forget certain things because we've become convinced that they are no longer relevant or have value. Think about the kinds of uh, things in, in sort of everyday life that that happens. There are things that you really were, were important to you and that you thought about a lot at other times in your life. And over the course of time, they become rest, less important and less relevant, less meaningful. And so you forget about them. And then something pricks your memory, some sort of uh, event triggers a memory, and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that thing that used to matter to me, but it doesn't anymore. I, I really want to impress upon you, biblical truths should not fall, they should not fall into those categories. We should not be forgetting key biblical truths because we don't like them and don't want to remember them as an act of our will, and we shouldn't forget them because we've been influenced that they have become irrelevant. And somehow they don't have value in the contemporary world. These things no longer speak to us. While our days change and the world changes and the issues of our time change, we serve a God, the creator and sustainer, who does not change. His word does not, does not change to fit into our existing contemporary context. It's timeless, it's eternal, and it's true. It can be relied upon. We can put our confidence in it. And so these ideas that we don't want to forget are things that we should spend time reflecting upon. Well, on this particular morning, I want to focus on this issue of contentment and joy. Why? Because I think there are some teachings in the Scripture that if I'm honest with myself and you're honest with yourself, we would rather not remember when it comes to contentment and joy. There are some things that are not easy to take and our preference would not be to embrace them. And all we have to do is think about the, the passage in James that says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. I would rather not. I would rather be relieved of the trial, not be put in a position where I'm supposed to contemplate that I should count it a joy because it develops perseverance. There are other things I might rather have than perseverance, like a break. Because we're human. And yet we don't get that luxury. We don't get to decide that the teaching of James 
about considering it pure joy when you encounter various trials is something we don't like or we don't wish to remember, and therefore we decide it's irrelevant. Also at the same time, the world around us might say, you know, that teaching of Scripture, that was fine in the old days when everybody lived to be 18 and suffered for all 18 years. But we live in a world that expects and should be long and happy and smooth. So that teaching in James about counting it joy when you encounter various trials is irrelevant. And you really shouldn't put much value in it. If we live in a culture that's doing that, then we'll tend to forget those truths. This is a spiritual discipline of remembering truth and submitting ourselves to it, to the authority of Scripture. Now look, when you think about these issues of contentment and joy, um, these are serious matters. It's not just sort of uh, how you feel about yourself and life. The way the Apostle Paul talks about it in this passage in Philippians, it's a core essential to the Christian life. But the world in which we live has some ideas about contentment and joy. These ideas are in front of us and influence us every day. The question is, are they eroding what we know to be true about these things biblically? We are constantly bombarded with images and ideas and messages about the ideal, about what the ultimate goal is in life, about what you should value and what you should pursue. We're constantly told uh, in, 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 in Instagram posts or other kinds of places or messaging in the media or the songs that we listen to that you should not be satisfied, that you should do for yourself that which brings you happiness. The question is, are the messages regarding joy and contentment that we're bombarded with, that are all around us, that are actually in influencing our sensibilities, are they, not only are they or are they not biblical, but are they eroding your understanding of these things from a biblical perspective? And all you have to do is look at this passage in Philippians to see that what the Apostle Paul is doing and saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is calling us to something that is extremely countercultural when it comes to joy and contentment. The world in which we live has ideas about these things, and it's so easy to be influenced by them. You know, we, I, I'm on social media platforms sporadically. I have hobbies. Some of you know I enjoy the outdoors and other kinds of things, and I'm on Instagram following people who are basically telling me, depending on the amount of time I spend on it, six, eight, a dozen, for some of you hundreds or thousands of times a day, that you should be fishing all day long, every day, in the most beautiful places on earth, and you shouldn't waste one more minute doing anything but that. But I have a day job. It's, it's unrealistic, the messages that we're being bar- bombarded with on one hand. But on the other hand, it's, it's seeping into us and affecting our sensibilities and our judgments about life and our lives and what it means to be content and to have joy. The, the confusion and conflation about the issue of happiness, circumstantial happiness, and biblical, theologically substantive joy is profound. And the question for all of us as the followers of Jesus is, in what ways are we guarding our sensibilities to be careful not to let the ideas about contentment and joy that are all around us erode what we understand to be true about them biblically? And then it's even more than that. I ask myself this, what impact is that having on us individually and collectively in community? 
What impact is that confusion about contentment and joy and the, 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 the pulling apart of our sensibilities and judgments, the attempts to realign us in a way that is not inherently and intentionally biblical? What's the impact of those things on our relationships, on our workplaces, on our work ethics, on our career choices, on our marriages, on our families, on our churches, etc., etc., etc. There's no point and no place in your life that your view and approach to contentment and joy isn't tied. How many of us walk into an exam thankful for our professor's diligence in wanting to test our learning in a way that will benefit us for the rest of our lives? Or we walk in and say, Oh, good grief, here it comes. Another 50 or one hour and 15 minute period of suffering in my life. It's easy to fall into that. There's no part of your daily life that isn't touched by these ideas. And I think this is true in our lives. I think it's true in every human being's life throughout all of time. And I think it's true in the Apostle Paul's life. What's interesting to me is that in this very profound and what I think is a hard teaching to take in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is actually offering a bit of a testimony. The passage that was read outlines it for us. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You're indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he's actually rejoicing for a circumstantial thing. I'm rejoicing now because you've actually been able to help me. Not that you haven't always wanted to help me, but now you have an opportunity to help me, and I'm thankful. I'm rejoicing. I'm praising the Lord for it. I'm rejoicing in the Lord that this has happened. And then he says, but he catches himself and says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, Well, if you weren't in need, then why did the Philippians need to offer some sort of encouragement or revive their concern for you to provide you some assistance? Well, from a human perspective, he's in need. But what he does is he checks himself, not because he's the Apostle Paul, but because he's a Christian and a bought one of the Lord Jesus. And he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can tell you this as an issue of testimony. This is a passage of Scripture that I have kicked against at certain times in my life. I have learned this. In need and in want, in abundance and plenty, that I am to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Now, That is simple on one level and complex on another. Unless you start thinking, well, that means that people who are in really bad situations shouldn't try to get out of them. That's not actually what he's saying here. I think what he's saying is this. My contentment is not based upon my circumstances. And that, brothers and sisters is a counter-cultural biblical truth that should turn you inside out. Because everything around us says just the opposite. You should evaluate and judge your contentment and joy and everyone around you by their circumstances, by their situations. 
Now, lest you think that Paul is simply talking about, well, you know, I had a financial need and I took a love offering and you helped me out. We're talking about someone who has made this statement, who was beaten on more than one occasion and left for dead. Stoned. Imprisoned. Shipwrecked. Starving to death. This is not someone who is offering a trite commentary on circumstantial happiness who has not himself been tested. He's offering a heartfelt, genuine, transparent testimony. This is not a man without empathy and compassion. He expresses love for his students, for members of the churches to whom he writes. Paul is not the, the, the uh, detached, aloof, emotionally unresponsive, disconnected individuals that contemporary culture would lead you to believe he is. He is a man of God who is a leader in the church, who loves God's people and specific individuals. He's concerned about their needs, their tensions, their conflicts with one another. Paul is not someone who is distant and removed from the realities of life and people's experience of it. And yet he offers this transparent, authentic testimony that I have learned this, to be content in whatsoever circumstances and situations I am in. In Philippians 4 here, the Apostle Paul lays down some profound and hard truths in the form of a testimony. Contentment and joy are not circumstantial. They find their source and substance in Christ. And the question for us is, is this the lens through which we view our own circumstances? Paul concludes this passage by saying this simple thing. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, in my younger days, I used that verse can't tell you how many three-by-five cards I've written it on, how many rearview mirrors I've stuck it on, how many Bibles I've tucked it in the leaf of to help me with all kinds of things. From an exercise routine to studying for exams. But to do that to that passage is to do a kind of theological vivisection that robs you of the opportunity for the Spirit to use this in a much more penetrating way. What Paul is saying here is this. I have learned to be the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What? I can face abundance and need, plenty and hunger. Through Christ, I can do all these things. Real contentment and real joy that is not determined by my circumstances is not beyond my reach because I am a bought one of Jesus whose death, burial, and resurrection has secured for me not only redemption and forgiveness and the promise of eternal life, but has is, but is secured for me the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the work of God's grace in my life. I can endure, persevere, and do all this. I can be content and joyful in Him who strengthens me because we are we are weak as human beings the circumstances are real they bear down on us and we want relief he isn't saying that you can get out of it this way he's saying you can learn to be content and joyful in it this is the apostle who in the beginning of this letter talks about what it means to to live as christ he's 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 on the verge of some serious personal crises. And he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's dealing with real life and death kinds of situations. And his perspective is shaped by his faith in Jesus Christ. So let me lay this out for you and you think about it in 
the days and weeks ahead. The Bible's perfectly clear on this matter. Our contentment and joy as Christians is not to be dependent upon our circumstances, and any argument to the contrary is an outright lie. Now, it's perfectly human to want things to be easier, smoother, more satisfying. Which of us doesn't want those things? It's perfectly human to not want to be ill, to not want to have inconveniences, to not want to suffer, to not want to wait longer than necessary in a drive through line, all kinds of things that bear down on us in any given day. It's human to want things to be easier, smoother, and more satisfying. It's also perfectly human to want to be happy and enjoy our lives and our situations. The problem is this, that if we don't guard our sensibilities, when our circumstances change and the storms come, which they will, we are lost and undone. It isn't that we're not human and we don't take joy in certain... Look, I walked out this morning and the monsoon had ended and the sun was out. And I was happier than I was last night at 5.30. But if I don't guard my sensibilities, I will start to think this... There is no God unless the sun shines. There is no happiness unless the sun shines. Unless my life is okay and my parade has not been canceled, there's no possible way I could be content or be joyful. And that's a lie. And all of you know people who have suffered or are suffering. Life can be hard. It's human to want it easier. But you have to guard your sensibilities that in the midst of enjoying your circumstances, you don't become entitled to think that those circumstances will actually determine your happiness. In fact, what happens is you end up becoming grateful. The Apostle Paul is one who understands that. Remember, he prayed three times for the thorn in his flesh to be removed, and the response of God was, my grace is sufficient for you. And I think that that text is tied to this testimony. I learned to be content when I accepted the grace of God regarding that thorn. Look, if our minds and hearts are fixed on Christ, we see all of life differently. And in this way, contentment and joy are inextricably tied to thankfulness and faith in God. I'm always at once stunned and embarrassed because it is painfully true when I think about the children of Israel. They have been freed from slavery. They are on their way to the promised land, the land of milk and honey, which is pretty good even if you're lactose intolerant, right? It's the land of milk and honey. The Lord God has promised them rest. He will fight on their behalf. The land is already theirs. All they have to do is go on this journey. The Lord promises to provide for them food and raiment. And when they're gathering the manna up off the ground after multiple times of doing so, what do they do? Complain. The food that comes from God, it would be better if we were back in Egypt. We, at least there we had leeks and onions. At once I am stunned and at the same time I'm embarrassed because it's painfully true. That's what happens to us. When we don't guard our sensibilities and we allow the thinking of the day to influence us, to decide that joy and contentment are only possible if your circumstances are rosy and sunny, if you don't guard against that, you will become ungrateful and your faith in God will begin to erode. And that is why this truth cannot be forgotten. 
It is possible for us to be content in our circumstances through Christ who strengthens us. Those things we can do. It is a promise. Stony, firm, eternal. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for its power to teach us, to guide us, to comfort us, and even confront us. We pray that your spirit would use your word to do your work in our lives individually and corporately, that we might encourage one another to think differently about life, to look at life's circumstances rightly, to think biblically about these matters of contentment and joy, and find it in the midst of any circumstance and any situation. Father, we pray for grace to live like these things matter, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great day, great weekend.